read a passage of Scripture for us. You got your Bible? Psalm number 8. Let's be turning to Psalm number 8. Larry, read this uh, short psalm for us and we'll get ready to spend our time right there for a few minutes. Psalm number 8. Thank you. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I appreciate that very much. As you can see, this is an excellent reading. Psalm number 8. Psalm number 8. I'd like for us to focus on the word wonder tonight, wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, wonder, wonder, because we're, we are supposed to stand amazed when we read such a passage. Let us focus on the idea of wonder, wonder. I know this is not a new idea for you. If you have spent any time in prayer with God, if you have been thoughtful toward the providence of God, if you are thankful for the salvation of God, and if you have been digging deep into the scriptures of God, then you have thought of this word often, wonder, wonder. And so this psalm divides itself up into four easy-to-see sections. First of all, the wonder of God himself. The wonder of God himself. Notice this from verses 1 and 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord. Notice the double use of God's name here. Lord, our Lord. These are actually two different words in the original language. Two different names. The first Lord here comes from uh, Yahweh. You've heard that before mentioned of God. Yahweh. Yahweh. And it simply means to be. To be. It brings out the eternal aspect of God. He is eternal. He is eternal. Remember as God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, told him he would be sending him to go and deliver his people. Moses asked the question, Who, Lord? 
They will want to know who is sending me. Who is the God of our fathers? What is his name? And God said, you tell them that I am. I am that I am sent you. I am sent you. That's the name. That's the ideal. That's Lord. That's Jehovah, Lord. Okay. This is the eternal aspect of God. The second Lord here comes from the, the word Adonai. Adonai, which simply means master and ruler. Master and ruler. And this brings out the authority of God. He has the right over us as our creator. He has the right over us. And so we praise him for his authority. So you see both the eternity of God and the authority of God. Notice how this statement occurs in verses 1 and 9. Sort of like bookends. Sort of like bookends. It starts out praising the Lord for who he is, how excellent, how majestic is his name. And then the, the song ends with the same ideal. Oh Lord, how Lord, oh Lord, our Lord, how great is your name, how excellent is it. You are above the heavens. Your glory is above the heavens. These are like bookends. This is not uncommon uh, in scripture. Uh, Solomon spoke of fearing God. Notice how he says it in Proverbs 1 and verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But notice what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. So at the beginning of wisdom and at the conclusion of life, conclusion of wisdom, we see the importance of fearing God, of, of showing honor to Him, of showing reverence to Him, and of obeying Him, submitting uh, to Him. This is not uncommon. When Jesus came on the scene and began His public ministry, notice His message was basically according to Matthew 4 and verse 17. Matthew 4 verse 17. Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay. Now after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we see from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 that he spent 40 days here on this earth in the presence of his disciples and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. So notice how that at the beginning of his ministry and again at the end of his ministry he's speaking about the kingdom of God the importance of salvation in the church. Again, think of it this way. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus had a message of repentance. But then, much later on, as Jesus sent a message to the church at Ephesus, we read about this in Revelation 2, 4 to 6. What was the message to the church at Ephesus? Revelation 2, 4 to 6. It was repentance. He says, this I have against you, you have left your first love. Repent, therefore, uh, and remember from where you have fallen, and, and do the first works. Do the first works. They had lost their zeal. They had stopped doing the very things God would have them to do after they became Christians. And they needed to repent, remember from whence they had fallen, and do the first works. So notice that Jesus, at the beginning, he had a message of repentance, and toward the end, he had a message of repentance. At the beginning of his ministry, he had a message about the kingdom of God and salvation. And at the, at the end of his ministry, he had a message about the kingdom of God and salvation. 
And so think about the wonder of God. The wonder of God. Secondly, I want us to notice here from Psalm 8. Look at verse 2 now. Psalm 8 verse 2. And think about the wonder of children. The wonder of children. Notice here in Psalm 8. Appreciate Larry reading for us. But notice in Psalm 8 how he mentions the importance of children. And he says, Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Because of your foes. To steal the enemy and the avenger. Notice here the main point is that God is so great that he can silence his enemies with the weakest of methods or the weakest of people or what might seem to be the weakest of people. Even little children can speak and silence the complaints of the wicked and the avengers, you see. God often does this. It's almost as if he he enjoys using the weak things or at least what to mankind would seem to be weak to do the great things in the world. Remember... David, as he was contemplating going against the giant, and they looked at him and said, you're just a youth. You're just a youth. You you don't even know how to use this armor. But David had something more important than armor. He had faith in God. Even though a youth, you know, Goliath looked at him and said, am I a dog? Am I a dog that you're going to send uh, this ruddy youth to me, but David had faith. He had faith. God used there someone very young, someone who would seemingly be weak to do his work. And that's what he's saying here in Psalm 8 and verse 2. God is so great, he can use what would seem to be the weakest people on earth to oppose his enemies. Notice over in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27. It says there that God chooses. God, it says there, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. In other words, he's saying what appears foolish to mankind, basically the gospel and the spiritual Things surrounding the gospel. God chooses those things. Man looks at that as something foolish. But God uses it to do his work. To even oppose those who would oppose him. God chooses those things that look weak and sorrowful. And he uses those very people. He uses those very things to confound those who feel like they're strong. You know in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Paul says that this treasure, which is the gospel, God has placed in earthen vessels. That's us. Why did he do that? Why did he take someone, and we noticed this morning how that we are sinful and we're in need of that gift of salvation. Why would he choose sinners to do the most important work of the world to carry the gospel? Why would he put this treasure in earthen jars or clay jars? Why would he do that? Well... Notice it there in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. To show that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. And the main idea is 
that God is so great, He can use what man would look like or seem like or would, would judge to be weak to do the greatest things in the world. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, you remember Paul. Paul had asked God, like we do, Paul had asked God to remove this thorn from the flesh. This is something that I do not like, Lord. I don't, Lord, I don't think it's good for me. I don't think it's good for your work. Please remove this thorn from the flesh. He asked him three times. God answered like this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, God said, is made perfect through weakness. When Paul heard that, he says, therefore, I will rejoice in my weaknesses, in my infirmities, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul understood it. Paul, Paul understood that God can take somebody with a weakened body and do wonderful things for the kingdom of God. God can take someone who looks very plain and very simple, maybe not so intellectual. He can take that person and do great things for the kingdom of God. He can take someone who is very young and has no experience and yet has a pure heart and do wonderful things for the church of our Lord. And so think about with me the wonder of children. The wonder of children. And please see here how that children have an instinct to recognize the glory of God. This is one of the great things out of this psalm. Children have an instinct to recognize the glory of God. And Jesus mentions this in Matthew 21. As he is in the city of Jerusalem, this is, this is close to the cross. This is during that, that week leading up to the cross. And Jesus is there in the temple. He's doing his work in the temple. And there are children there. And they begin to praise Jesus, saying, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king. And people criticized. People, people complained about this. And Jesus looked to them and said, Have you never read? And then he quoted from Psalm 8, verse 2. Have you never read how the, out of the mouths of babes and infants thou hast perfected praise? Please see that children basically have just an instinct to recognize the God in all his glory. They always have. They always will. They have what you might say some powers of thought and speech even. Powers of reasoning ability to be able to just say, I know that I am a created being and I know that there is a God up above and he deserves our honor and praise. You see, children come into this world made like everybody. They're made in the image of God and they have a desire, just a natural desire to want to serve their creator. And the Lord wants them to come to him. Now, you remember there in Matthew 19 when people were bringing Jesus, bringing to Jesus little children and he would bless them. And the disciples felt like this was a waste of time. And Jesus said, I think it's Matthew 19, 13 and 14. Jesus said, allow little children to come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus knew 
of the natural instinct of children to know what is right and what is wrong. What is spiritual and what ought to be done. That there is a God in heaven. He ought to be praised. Jesus recognized that. The trouble is. That parents don't recognize that. Jesus said. Bring little children to me. And don't you dare forbid them. Parents. Grandparents. All people really ought to be bringing the children to the Bible on a daily basis. Ought to be bringing children to a time of prayer and worship on a daily basis. Ought to be bringing children to examples of devotion and uh, service. They ought to be bringing children to that. They ought to be bringing children to worship and to Bible classes Bring little children to me, Jesus said. And don't you dare forbid them. The only reason children don't come to the Lord is because somebody is in their life not bringing them. And that's a shame, isn't it? That's a shame. That's a shame. Little children have a pure thought process a pure reasoning and ability to want to serve God. This is the best time in life for them to learn about God before they get out here, before they begin to enter the world where there are cares and pleasures and riches surrounding them. This is the best time for a person to learn about God is when really, while they're still in the mother's belly and really right out of the, right when they come out and, and from that time forward, Remember, as Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy year. What about the wonder of children? The wonder of children. You can see the wonder of God in the wonder of children. In the third place, let's notice together this evening the wonder of creation. Notice it from Psalm 8 and verse 3. The wonder of creation David said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun, moon, and stars which you have ordained, what is man? What is man? David, as a shepherd boy, spent a lot of time outside. David, as a shepherd boy, spent a lot of time outside at night. He was a shepherd. He he kept those sheep. Not just during the daytime. It was a nine-to-five job. If you were a shepherd, you were the shepherd. You you tended to those sheep all the time. But it afforded David the opportunity to be among the creation of God, among nature itself. And he was able to observe that and create a faith. A faith. At least part of his faith was created because of he being able to observe what God had created. Our children need to be outside. Our children need to be in the world. Our children got to get out of the house. Now it's totally important to immerse them in the Word of God. But it's also important for them to see God's creation. To see people. Notice that God, God creates people in a variety of ways and our children need to be able to observe. The best place to observe that is at church. Because there's a lot of different kind of people at church, aren't there? 
Just let them see them. But then that, for our children to be in the creation, to be, to be among the trees and the mountains and, and to be outside and, and to see God's handiwork. David had that opportunity and he, he dwelled in it. He, he made the best of that opportunity. And we profit from David being a shepherd. We profit from it now because he has written these words for us. When I consider your heavens, Lord, these heavens are the work of your fingers. No, the heavens and the universe did not come from some sort of explosion, some spontaneous explosion. No, David knew better than that. No, this is the genius of God. David knew that. This is the genius of God. The sun, moon, and stars, stars which you have set in place. Isn't that amazing to think about? Just how many stars are there? Well, they're still counting. They're still counting. The latest sort of number that they have is if you write down a zero, or rather, if you write down a one, and then you put 26 zeros next to it, then that's about how many stars have been able to count. That's, that's a lot, isn't it? What is the word for that? I don't know what the word that, for that is. But it's a lot of stars. That's, that's more than a billion. That's more than a trillion. Okay. But the amazing thing is, according to Psalm 147 in verses 4 and 5, see it in your Bible, Psalm 147 verses 4 and 5, see it right there for yourself. God has numbered all these stars and He has named all these stars. That's His power. He has numbered them and named them. Psalm 147 verses 4 and 5. That's why, that's why we talk about this evening the wonder of creation. The wonder of creation. The wonder of God. The wonder of children. Little children. And the wonder of creation. And finally tonight, the wonder of man himself. The wonder of man. What is man? Psalm 8 verse 4. Let's try to tackle that for a second. Notice Psalm 8 verse 5. You have made him, Lord... First of all, notice that man has been made. Man has been made by the Lord. Man did not evolve from some sort of slimy pit. God made man. Just like Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 6. You made them male and female from the beginning. In the beginning, Lord, you made them male and female. Mark 10, verse 6. God made Man. What is man? And then notice from Psalm 8 and verse 5. Notice it in your Bible. God made him a little lower than God. He made him a little lower than God. Now, your Bible may say he made him a little lower than angels, but let me talk to you just a minute. The word there for angels or for God is another God word, which is Elohim. So we've mentioned three names for God. Yahweh, Adonai, and Elohim. Now Elohim can be used for any spiritual being, such as an angel. But you have to let the verses around it tell you what's going on. And 
as you can see, David has been talking about God, the God, the true God. How excellent is your name. These heavenly creations are from your fingers, Lord. Okay. So when he says, you have made man a little lower than Elohim, he's saying you have made him just a little bit lower than yourself, Lord. Now, the atheists say that we are just a little bit above a beast. Okay. They're fond of saying that, that man is the most advanced mammal that there is. Man is the most efficient mammal. Okay, that's what atheists say. But God says, man is just beneath me. Man is just beneath me. Now, what you believe there makes all the difference in eternity, doesn't it? It is huge. Which are you going to believe? Are you going to believe that we're just a little bit higher than a beast, an animal? Or are you going to believe that, as David says here, that we're just a little bit lower than God himself? It makes complete sense what David says. Because we read in the beginning that God made us in His image. In the image of God and in His likeness we are made. Just a little lower than the angels. So God makes us, I mean think about man, and God has made us a little lower than Himself. But notice also that God made us as a ruler as you see here in Psalm 8, Larry read for us from verses 5 through 8, that God set man over his creation, over the works of his creation. He made him a steward, if you will. Made him a steward. Okay. What a high honor this is. He's crowned him with glory and honor. What a high honor this is. And what a serious responsibility this is. Everything that God created, he looked to man and said, you are my ruler over these things. Dominion over all the animals. All the, all the, over all the animals. I say to you, I believe that this is great evidence for God. When what is said in the Bible matches what is going on in the world, that is evidence for God. No one can dispute that mankind is the ruler on this earth. We have dominion over all the animals. We are the ones who are doing things. We are constructing things on this earth. No one can dispute that. And so it's a wonder to me that anyone would dispute it. But this is great evidence for the fact that God has created things and they are as they are. And no one should be able to speak against it. God made man. He made him just a little lower than himself. And he made him as a ruler. And then we need to notice this. He made man a spiritual being. Because David was able to say, what is man? What is man? Now man is complex, no doubt. He's more than just spiritual, but he is spiritual. We know from our studies and our knowledge, okay, it's pretty, pretty common sense, man is a physical being in one sense. We have our outward body. Man is a physical being. And that is an incredible machine. 
man is a physical, biological machine created by God, and it's, pretty, it's something special. Now, it's not going to last forever, neither is this universe going to last. Our bodies are not going to last forever, but it's an incredible machine, if you think about it. They say there's like uh, over 100 trillion cells in our body. And there are multiple systems going on and working in our body at the same time. Ten or twelve of those, like the muscular system and the skeletal uh, system, the cardiovascular uh, system, the immune system, the respiratory system, the digestive system. You just name them. There's ten or twelve of them, all of them working together continuously. You don't even have to think about it. They're just working. God created that machine. Psalm 139.14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, we are. So we are complex in that we are not only spiritual, but we're physical, biological, but also we are intellectual. We operate, we have instinct, but we operate more than instinct. Animals are different. Animals only have instinct. Mankind has been able to trace the migrating patterns of birds. Okay, birds migrate based on patterns and instinct, but not on intellect. Man only has the ability to to read, comprehend, understand, gather information, gather knowledge, gather knowledge from the past and from the present, and accumulate that and process that into a conclusion that will direct his life. We're not just physical, but we're intellectual beings as well. Jesus said in John 8, 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that is a promise to every human being, not just select few, okay, but to every human being. You can know how life ought to be. You can know how life ought to be lived. You can know how to serve God. You can know that you have eternal life. Because you can accumulate knowledge and apply it to your life. We're not only physical and intellectual beings, but we're also emotional beings. We're emotional. We, can, we, we are saddened. We are thrilled. We can rejoice. We can be made happy. We can also grieve. We can experience all those emotions within just a few minutes or a whole day or several days. We are emotional beings. Doesn't that itself tell you? That we did not evolve from, from slime or mud or a rock. I mean, has, has rock ever shown any emotion? Yeah. My rock seems to be having a bad day today. Yeah. It's, isn't that what is truly foolish? Man says that what we are doing is foolish. What we're doing tonight is foolish. But those same people would believe that this system that we call a human being has evolved from something like a rock or dirt. I believe that you would agree that is what is truly foolish. But on top of all of this is the fact that God made us spiritual. Spiritual. That's why we read from Psalm 8 and verse 4. David saying, as he looked at God's creation, he said, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
you're mindful of him. God made us spiritual. We can do that. We can step back and say, look at all of this. Why would this creator be mindful of me? Now the story of our being spiritual is, is kind of sad because we have had a downward spiral as far as being spiritual and being responsible before God um, matters. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God made us upright, but we have sought out many inventions, and indeed we have. Romans 3.9-10 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. So man, in his responsibility and his service to God and his devotion to God, has been going down, down, down. But that makes what David asked even more meaningful. What is man that you are mindful of him? Even though we go down in our behavior before God, even though we fail before him, yet how refreshing, how incredible it is that David says, Lord, how is it that you're still mindful of us? And indeed he is. Especially when you look at what God did in showing His mindfulness. Romans 5 verse 8. God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet ungodly, God sent forth His Son and He sacrificed Him for us. The wonder of man. The wonder of man. And so you can see how that happens here in Psalm 8. You see the wonder of God, the wonder of children, the wonder of creation, and finally the wonder of man, which leads us back to where we were at this morning. The wonder of God's gift. His mindfulness of us. How is it, Lord, that you're so mindful of us? Why do you love us? Why would you consider us in our sin? Why would you sacrifice so much for us? Why would you do that? He loves us. And it is something to wonder about. Doesn't it just make you sit down with a heart full of gratitude, but a heart of amazement? I stand amazed in the presence of my Lord. Psalm 8. If we can help anyone with any spiritual need this evening, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing for the air.